Welcome to Nature Revisited. I first met David Van Wee at a sustainability symposium at Dartmouth College. It wasn't but 10 minutes after talking with David that I knew I would like to do an episode on fly fishing. I know nothing of fishing, let alone fly fishing. So we arranged to spend a day together, tying some flies, fishing in a stream, and talking about his new book. After spending the day with David, it became very clear to me that catching the fish wasn't the ultimate goal, that what mattered was the real sense of experience, that it is in the preparation and the process that brings one closer to a very strong connection to nature, that catching a trout requires paying close attention, and that is when nature often reveals some of her most beautiful treasures when we are focused on other things, like trying to catch a fish. It also didn't take long for me to realize that I would have to present this episode, Take Me to the River, in two parts. So here then is part one, On the Fly. I hope you enjoy it. Fly fishing goes back, I think, probably to literally to the caveman that people were trying to figure out how to catch fish. And somebody figured out that if you take a little bit of feather or you, if you fashioned a hook out of whatever and you made a lure that you could catch fish. It evolved over the years and especially in England is where they started to create reels and using braided line, and sometimes they use braided horse hair for the, for the leaders, and then they started tying different imitations of bugs and things like that. And so fly fishing came over to the United States in the early 1800s, but the notion of more leisurely catching a fish for recreation didn't really start to take place until, until maybe the early 1800s. Um, it is, it, it is a, it's, it's a lifelong pursuit that if you want something that can be a hobby that allows you to learn more about the trout and the streams and the, the bugs that they eat, develop the skill of actually casting a fly and choosing a fly. It really is a, a very almost transcendental or, or spiritual um, way to participate in, in the outdoors. What you're doing in fly fishing is you're imitating some type of bug or a little fish or some other thing that, that trout like to eat. So one of the dimensions is understanding the ecology of the trout and the stream and the bugs that live there and how the trout, how and when they eat different types of bugs so that you can put the right thing that they will eat in front of their nose in the right place at the right time. And there's a lot to that. As I said, fly casting, just getting the fly to go to where, you, even if you know there's a trout there, getting the fly to go right in front of the trout so it can see it and eat it, there's a lot of skill just to that alone. And if you buy your flies at the store, then that's fine. You still need to understand which fly to use when, and that makes you kind of an amateur entomologist. And then the, the other whole dimension of it is 
tying the flies, um, is creating the flies. And when I started tying flies years ago, that made me understand the types of flies and why trout would eat them much better because I actually have to understand what it is I want to create and then learn the technique of actually tying something that imitates a bug. You've got mayflies, caddisflies, stoneflies, sometimes crane flies. Never fished with a crane fly until just a couple of years ago. But mayflies are those beautiful, graceful flies that have like a curved body and their wing goes up like a sail and they fly gracefully in the, in the air. You sometimes will find them on the door to your house if you live near a stream or water. And they, they can be in various sizes from teeny tiny, as small as a black fly or a mosquito up to something that's almost the size of a quarter. And of course, the bigger the fly, the more fish want it because it's more of a food source for them, more calories. Caddisflies are another group of flies. They have down wings that go down along their back. They're sort of clumsy flyers, and but they're virtually everywhere in a stream. So a lot of times you're tying a caddisfly imitation. Stoneflies are ones that are usually a little bit bigger. They also have down wings like a caddisfly. They usually crawl up on rocks, which is why they're called stoneflies, before they hatch into an adult. Which brings me to the other important point of flies is all of these bugs that the trout eat live part of their lives underwater. And the underwater stage is called the nymph. So they get laid as an egg. The egg hatches in, into larva. The larva turns into a pupa and it develops into uh, a nymph, which is a little crawly bug. It has gills. It lives under the water. Some of them can swim. Some of them will live in sand or gravel. Some of them will live in mud, depending on the species of bug. And that's the trout's main food source because the trout lives underwater and these nymphs are underwater and they're there 365 days a year, so they eat a lot of nymphs. The problem for a fly fisherman is you can't see any of that. That's all hidden. That's underwater. And the nymphs, after a year or two or even three living underwater, will then go to an adult stage. They sw often swim to the surface, hatch out of their nymph case, and then turn into a mayfly or a caddisfly, usually in the surface film, they crawl out on top of the water, their wings dry out, and they fly away. During that time when they're hatching, they're very vulnerable to trout, and the trout will start eating them. One of the defense mechanisms of the bugs is they somehow magically hatch all at once in a cohort. So Sometimes you'll be out on the stream and all of a sudden there'll be hundreds and thousands of bugs coming up out of the water, being on the surface, and then flying away to become adults. Fly fishermen call it a hatch. And when that's happening, you want to match the hatch. You want the same fly that the trout have already figured out as food, and you want to be able to match what is available to the trout and that they're used to seeing and that they think is food or that they're conditioned to know is food. So that's kind of the, the, the bug part, just a real quick overview. So I can tie a lot of those things. So what I was gonna do here today was tie a few 
that are common. And it, one of the really cool things is when you tie a fly and then you take it out in the stream and you use it and you catch a fish on the fly that you just tied, that's kind of the ultimate, the ultimate experience for, for a fly fisher. So we're gonna see if we can do that. Fly fishers generally talk about dry flies, wet flies, nymphs, and streamers. So let's start with, with a common dry fly that I'm gonna to use today. One of the most fun things is to catch them on the surface where you get to watch your bug go down and you get to watch the trout come up and slurp it off the surface. And then you can play the fish and it's right there and you get to see the whole thing happen. So I'm using a little hook here for a dry fly. This is a number 12, they come in different sizes, 12, 14, 16, in a curious tradition, the higher the number, the smaller the fly, which is a little weird. So I've got a number 12 dry fly hook here, and I'm gonna tie a caddis fly. And the type I'm gonna tie is an elk hair caddis, which is, as you might guess, made out of elk hair. These materials that we're using, many of them are traditional. Back in the day when they first started doing this, they used fur, feathers, yarn, wool, things like that, and that's what many of the traditional flies are made out of. Now there's all kinds of synthetic doodads, and you can use, we use tinsel, we use wire, we use um, beads um, of various metal beads for weight, but I still use lots of feathers and, and animal hair. So I've got my hook, I've got thread on a spool with a little uh, thread winder, and I'm covering the hook with thread, which we call painting the hook. And I should say, I, I learned all of this in the early 90s. I'm not a beautiful fly tire. Some people create all works of art and they're very meticulous. I'm a very practical type of fly tire. Elk hair caddis has um, got this hook. I'm gonna use, I gotta create a body first. And the order that you do these things in is important. In this case, I'm gonna use, this is a synthetic material, which we call dubbing and it's designed to be kind of a buggy, bulky body for this fly. And I wind it onto the thread here. And then I wrap this dubbing material around and it will catch on here. So there's a little dubbed body. The next thing I'm gonna do is I need legs on my bug. So I'm gonna use a feather for hackle. And it's, this is called hackle. This is grizzly hackle. These feathers come from specially raised chickens. And the feathers are harvested and sold in different sizes. And this, is, this one is a number 12. But I'm gonna tie this in at the base of the fly and wrap the thread back to the front. And now I've got this feather sticking out here that when I wrap it around, the body that I just created, it looks like legs of the fly. Lots of them, but the other re thing that this is doing is this is gonna help the fly float on the surface. So I could fish that right there. That looks enough like a bug all by itself. And uh, this is a very simple fly. I'll tie the first one in the most simple mode using elk hair here. Now, one of the things I want is the elk hair to be even. And this little clump that I have here is not very even with the tips. One of the cool things about fly fishing is there are millions of little gadgets. This is a hair stacker. So I put the hair in here, 
I tap it and it comes out just like that. I don't know who invented this thing, but it's really cool. It works great. And now all those hairs are much more even so that this will look more like a wing. And you can see that's the down wing that goes down the body. So here's the legs, the wing goes this way. And then I use another really cool gadget called a whip finisher. I'm gonna use this to tie off the thread. So I go five wraps around, pull it through, and it made a nice little knot. Snip the thread, and voila, there's an elk hair caddis. I've caught thousands of trout on a fly just like this. I would like to try to do a nymph. I'm going to put a bead head on this on this uh, hook for, um, I'm gonna try to tie a pheasant tail soft hackle hook. So first thing I do, hooks come with a little barb on there. And in a lot of places, it fly fishing, you're only allowed to use barbless hooks because the, the hook, when it's barbed, is hard to get out of the fish's mouth and you can harm the fish try, just trying to remove the hook. So by pinching down the barb, um, it makes it a lot easier to get it out of the out of the fish's mouth. You might lose a fish now and then because the barb helps hold the fish on there, but not much. So I just squeeze that barb down enough that it's still a bump, but it won't, it'll be much easier to pull out of the fish's mouth when I catch the fish. So does a fly fisherman usually not take its fish home with him? A lot of water is catch and release only. Um, a lot of fly fishers have just adopted that as a general practice. I almost never keep fish, but I'd rather let the fish go and catch it again another day or let it get bigger and reproduce because sometimes you get enough fishing pressure on a stream that, that if everybody kept the fish, then pretty soon there's no fish. So if I release my fish, then I might be able to go back again and catch the same fish another day. It's a, it's a matter of preference, but it's a conservation technique. And in some waters, the sections of stream are designated fly fishing only, catch and release. You can catch the fish, it does the least harm to the fish, and you put them back and they're there again for the next person to enjoy. So in some ways, fly fishing isn't about the fish. No, no. It's, it's about all of, these, all of these different dimensions that I talked about, I think are the attraction for many people. And for me, what I, what I often tell people is I enjoy it because I'm participating in the ecology. I'm actually fooling the fish into thinking what I created is a real bug. It eats it. Um, I get to visit with the fish for a little while by having it on literally connected to me on a line. I bring it in and I let it go. It's a weird sport. It's like any other sport. It's a lifelong learning experience. And I've been doing it for almost 40 years and I still feel like I'm clumsy at times. I still feel like I'm learning new things every time I go out. So I'm gonna tie uh, a nymph, a pheasant. This is called a pheasant tail because they typically use pheasant tail to tie it. And I'm gonna wrap it. So I've got the tail. This is a tail. This is a, um, a mayfly nymph imitation. Mayflies usually have two or three tails sticking out the back. And so I'm gonna use this to imitate those tails. And this is not a perfect pheasant tail. 
by any stretch of the imagination. But when we get done, I think it's going to still work to catch fish. And I hope to catch a fish on it shortly. All right. So now we've got sort of a, a segmented body. We've got a tail sticking out the back. We need a thorax. And we're going to use a little bit of peacock feather for the thorax. And every fly tire develops their own habits and preferences. Some try to adhere with great obsession to a traditional recipe or design. Others like to wing it and just sort of make it up as they go. So now I've got tail, body, thorax. Now I need um, legs. And I'm going to use a soft feather from another part of a bird to create what we call a soft hackle. So I've tied a little, this is a more webby feather. The other ones I was using are very narrow. This one is webbier because I want it, the, the legs to stick out and look a little bit buggy. But some of these basic designs go back hundreds of years. So there is my effort at a soft hackle pheasant tail. I think it's close enough that it might catch some fish today. And you can see that this, when it goes in the water, first of all, it's gonna sink because it's got a heavy bead and it's got heavy wire. So the idea is that you want this down in the water quickly. Um, it's got a tail, which these nymphs do, the body. It's got a, a body similar to, to what a nymph looks like. This webby feather like this, will undulate in the water to give it a lifelike look that the fish somehow can't resist. And now I will tie quickly a streamer. So the difference with a streamer is streamers generally are fished underwater. You, you pull them through the water on your invisible fly line. For a streamer, it's usually imitating something that's swimming like a minnow it might also imitate a stonefly that has fallen back in the water and is drifting down in the current. I'm gonna tie a fly that we call a wood special. And this fly, a friend of mine gave me one of these years ago. I thought it looked really stupid. Um, it's orange and brown, and I didn't know what it imitated. It just looked kind of ridiculous to me. So I carried it around with me for a year or two, and then finally one day out of desperation when I wasn't catching anything, I decided, oh, what the heck, I'll use that stupid orange thing. And I threw it out there and immediately caught a fish. Since then, it's been one of the most productive flies that I use. It doesn't really look like anything in particular, like, and that's true with a lot of flies, but it looks like several different things. In this case, it's gonna look a bit like a stonefly, it's also going to look like a minnow. It's got orange in it. And so trout tend to re re respond to orange almost viscerally when they see orange because it's, they think of it as a competitor or something. Then I first use this orange body, this orange material, to create the body or thorax of this fly, which is going to be orange all the way up the shank of the hook, wrapping it around from front to back over the top. Now, I need a down wing on the back 
which is gonna make it look a bit like a stonefly because stoneflies are long-bodied, bigger flies that have a down wing that goes down along their back. And in this case, I'm gonna use mallard flank feather. And then I finish it with this same grizzly hackle that I used a minute ago. Oh, here, I got some left. And this is gonna be the front legs because in a stonefly, most of the legs are in the front half of the thorax. And that is a wood special fly. It's beautiful. What I'll do is I'll, it'll be on a string like this. And first of all, I can throw it on the surface and it might look like a bug that just fell on the surface and it'll float for a few seconds. And a lot of times a fish will take it then. Then I can drift it in the current and it might look like a stonefly that's fallen in and is just dead drifting down in the stream. And so sometimes they'll think, oh, that's a stonefly and they'll slurp it then. And then if that doesn't work, then I retrieve it and I make it swim through the, through the water like a little fish. And sometimes they'll eat it thinking it's a fish. So I get three different functions out of the same fly. I have three flies, and we're going to fish with all three of those exact flies when we go to the stream.